Hi, I'm Jared Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Today in our series on issues in the 2021 New York City elections, we're talking about housing and how housing is featured in the campaign or how it should be featured in the campaign. And of course, the issue of housing has been one of, if not the most dominant issues in city life for the past decade, housing affordability, homelessness, NYCHA, all under that umbrella. And it's been a huge focus of the de Blasio administration, the subject of major spending, bruising political battles, federal investigations, and much more. Obviously, housing is extremely important. It's a basic human need. Uh, but the way that the city does or doesn't address housing also intersects with a number of different issues, including job creation, uh, workforce development, what neighborhoods are like, uh, wealth and racial gaps uh, in, in opportunity and access, climate resiliency, and much, much more. Housing is an incredibly important issue and the subject of a great deal of conversation in the 2021 elections as they've gotten going. And it's been a discussion, of course, Ben, for a very long time in New York City. Some of the first really kind of defining moves of government, municipal government in the modern era in New York were about housing, about um, creating zoning laws, which New York City basically helped to pioneer, um, laws governing, you know, what kind of tenements you can build were among the hallmarks of the progressive era and among the first uh, attempts at kind of regulating the city that we know about. Then, of course, the New Deal brought us things like public housing. New York City uh, is believed to be the first and oldest public housing authority. That's an important part of the public of the housing picture, um, but also things like redlining through uh, the Federal Housing Administration and the loans provided or not provided to certain neighborhoods. That's had a longstanding effect on patterns of development and wealth uh, accumulation in the city, racial wealth accumulation in the city. Robert Moses, known for his highways and his transportation work, also was a destroyer of and a builder of housing. A lot of slum clearance money was in uh, his arsenal of tools that during the 40s and 50s and 60s into the 70s, he employed to reshape the city's physical face. The 70s, you had an abandonment of some housing, um, burning down some housing in the Bronx, uh, concerns about whether the city had too much and whether we needed to shrink to do some planned shrinkage to uh, reduce the physical footprint of the city, largely because of changes in the housing stock. And really the beginning in that decade of efforts by the city, but primarily by community groups to rally around creating decent housing. And that morphed in the 1980s to the city's first official housing plan, really since the New Deal, the Koch 10-year plan to create affordable housing, largely out of properties the city had amassed during the foreclosure and abandonment of the 70s. Um, the 80s also when we began to see public attention to homelessness as a major civic crisis, a crisis that has changed forms in a lot of ways since then, but is certainly still part of the city's policy to-do list. And then under Mayor Bloomberg, uh, another housing plan, the one that evolved over time, basically to match uh, pressure from advocacy groups and, and some of his opponents to 165 units. Um, and of course, also the financial crisis affecting uh, homeownership in many parts of the city, especially in majority black areas like Southeast Queens and a new wave of homelessness as well as some efforts with very mixed success to, uh, to try and defeat that crisis. This set the stage, of course, for our current mayor, Mayor de Blasio, ran on an affordability platform, talked during his campaign about 
creating a new housing plan that would be different from Mayor Bloomberg's. And that plan is perhaps going to be his greatest legacy, his greatest controversy. Began looking for 200,000 units of new and preserved housing, expanded eventually to 300,000 units, included things like the creation of the city's mandatory inclusionary housing mechanism, which requires developers in areas that have seen new density to devote some of their new units to affordable housing. Um, but obviously, a lot of that plan is more than the big numbers. It's the small uh, controversies and details that have led to a lot of um, a lot of uproar during the de Blasio years. Yeah, I think there's so much about the Bloomberg and de Blasio years that are so instructive as we look at the 2021 campaign, right? There's all this talk about um, how to best address uh, the, the crisis of homelessness that's been in the city. As you said, there was some progress under Bloomberg and then the problem really exploded that coincided with uh, you know the, working with the state, the, the 2009 financial crisis. Uh, we won't go into all the details of the history, but you know questions around voucher programs, what, what do they look like? How long do they last? The value of those, you know, those are such key issues that then became part of the debate under de Blasio. And then of course, there's the question of how much to let the market try to, you know, flood the city with new housing and create more affordability through, you know, really letting market forces run. And that relates to rezonings of neighborhoods. Um, and it relates to, you know, what you're trying to require of developers. And we've seen, as you said, de Blasio try to sort of tweak that, but really also continue with something in, you know, in a similar vein in terms of trying to really leverage the market to create affordable housing. And one of the most interesting things of the de Blasio years on the housing plan is that, you know, he's gotten so much criticism basically from his left for not focusing on more deeply affordable housing instead of going after more total units. Uh, you know, a lot of critics have said that the, the plan really just doesn't match up with the deep need for more deeply subsidized affordable housing uh, for people who really have struggled to pay the rent, who are, you know, making low wages, really struggling. That ties in with other issues, as we talked about at the beginning. That also gets into this issue, you know, that we've talked about a little bit here, but it's one of the overriding challenges of the de Blasio years and was of the Bloomberg years, which is this issue of where in the city to add housing density, how does it happen? What do neighborhoods and communities sort of get from city government along with being asked to see their neighborhoods developed? Concerns about gentrification, concerns about displacement, all the things that go into that. And one of the key legacies of the de Blasio years really at this point is that he's done neighborhood community upzonings in almost exclusively low-income communities of color uh, he hasn't really tried to push hard for more housing density in wealthier, whiter areas of the city. And that's become sort of a focal point of the 2021 mayoral conversation. Um, but also it gets at the fact that de Blasio ushered in this mandatory inclusionary housing program, but never really used it. Uh, he, you know, it's really meant to be used in the wealthier areas of the city. Um, so that's a key tension of those years. Although that change to the zoning uh, laws of the city is a, is a significant legacy item for him as well as others. But in terms of legacy controversies, um, that's one of them, not really matching up the affordability of affordable housing to the need, and then not really being able to wrap his arms around and really take on homelessness in a way that 
you know, someone who really focused on the issue in the past. He was chair in the city council of the committee that oversees uh, homelessness. Uh, he just didn't match the crisis with uh, the effort. And it's one of the few things he's actually admitted fault on. And then, of course, there's also public housing, which de Blasio paid more attention to, put more resources into, but again, nowhere near matching the scale of the problem. And, and like with some of these other things I just mentioned, really too timid with the plans that he even did have, uh, like not utilizing mandatory inclusionary housing to its potential, not really pushing ahead on his, his NYCHA rescue plans. Yeah, I think that's kind of the meta critique, right? A lot has happened, um, and this goes beyond the plans you've mentioned, the, the affordable housing plan, the homelessness plan, the NYCHA plan, and perhaps one of the problems is that they've all been treated as separate plans. But beyond that, you have you know, the changes in Albany to rent regulations, some improvements to 421A in terms of trying to drive affordability, um, the creation of the certificate of no harassment system, um, the right to counsel law here, those are important changes to kind of the underlying fabric of housing and of tenant rights in the city. And, you know, I think combined, it's quite a large body of work um, on the one hand. On the other hand, the challenge de Blasio set for himself during the campaign and certainly during the early part of his mayoralty in which he talked about his housing approach as being transformative is that the city feels like the affordability crisis has not gotten much better at all and perhaps worse. Um, and I think that's an important lesson to take from that for future candidates, current candidates for mayor. Another lesson that that list of policy achievements points out is that this isn't just a mayoral thing. You know, obviously people who are running for city comptroller are talking about how the pension funds might be used to invest in housing. Uh, people running for city council, obviously the council has a lot of power over land use, uh, approving or disapproving uh, particular developments passing things like right to counsel and certificate of harassment. You also have the state government, uh, which sets some of the um, requirements or the, the levels for the financial levels for the voucher programs, who controls the rent regulation system, the tax system, property taxes, and the tax breaks like 421A. Of course, you have uh, non-governmental players like trades unions and the developers who in the housing sector include market rate, affordable developers and within those both for-profit and non-profit, many of them with different agendas and um, different backgrounds. Lenders, the banks are a huge part of this because almost all, financing almost all housing development is financed and the terms and the structure of that financing is very important to what gets built and for whom. And of course the federal government is the big player that um, people are assuming will play a slightly different role now that the Trump administration is gone and the Biden administration is here. HUD controlling public housing, Section 8, um, a lot of the bond capacity used for uh, private owned uh, housing and uh, some of the home ownership stuff obviously controlled by even Federal Reserve policy over interest rates. So a lot of different players in the mix. Obviously the focus is on the mayor and the people running for mayor have uh, in some cases released very detailed plans. Sean Donovan, former city and federal housing commissioner, a very detailed uh, sketch of what he wants to do, more than a sketch really. Scott Stringer recently releasing a very detailed plan which built on some fairly detailed stuff he had done in his role as city comptroller. Um, uh, Catherine Garcia also releasing a generally detailed uh, housing vision. Others have done shorter ones and I think some probably still have plans to come. This is that issue area that one can't really imagine someone getting to June 22nd and not talking about in detail what they wanna do on housing. 
That's absolutely true. Every serious mayoral candidate needs to at least provide some detailed uh, sketch, if not a fully fleshed out plan of what they want to do about housing. Um, and that also includes, again, this question of how you merge sort of the larger picture of development with what kind of affordability you're trying to encourage with homelessness and with NYCHA. And that's one of the most interesting parts of the mayoral conversation, I think, so far is that you have candidates really talking about merging all of that as sort of one way of thinking about housing and one big housing plan that does bring all of that together, because it does seem that that's necessary. You can't really have a separate homelessness plan from an affordable housing plan. I mean, those two things are, are part of the same exact conversation. And NYCHA is, of course, the city's biggest source of affordable housing. So these things are all interrelated. The candidates need to be talking about them that way. I'll also add to your list, you know, Eric Adams has released a, a bit of a sketch of his, of his housing plan, uh, saying some similar things to those other candidates you mentioned. Um, but, you know, one of the things I'm noticing in this, in this conversation is that to some degree, not fully, but to some degree, the conversation on housing, as well as on other issues, is a little bit still stuck in sort of pre-pandemic time. And we don't really know what the landscape is going to look like. Rents are coming down in the city because a lot of people have left and a lot of people haven't been moving here. Um, you know, there, there, there are things that have changed, right? So we don't know what population growth or decline in the city is really going to look like. We also don't know how the next mayor might be able to encourage a population growth in the city while also matching it with housing development. And one of the things we've seen that, again, is, is good that the mayoral candidates are talking about is that the city has seen population growth, job growth, but not a requisite amount of housing growth over the last decade plus. And that's an important part of the conversation, but they need to sort of recalibrate, rethink, look at new data, you know, talk to planning experts, demographic experts, et cetera, to really recalibrate things to some semblance of, of what things might be looking at uh, moving forward. I also do want to underscore just real quick that that right to counsel legacy for de Blasio and for the city council that work with him on it is probably one of the most important legacy items of, of the de Blasio administration that probably doesn't get talked about enough, but might, you know, might wind up eventually in one of sort of the top several accomplishments of his mayoralty when it's all said and done. Oh, totally. And I think just to your point about population, you know, this ties in the campaign does with the city council considering uh, creating a comprehensive planning regime, which is something that we've talked about in other contexts, but that would be aimed at trying to have a more um, equal and more inclusive approach to dealing with whatever the future of the city is in terms of population, whether it's larger or smaller, um, whether it grows at a fast or a, a more regular pace. And I think asking candidates about exactly how they would operate that system, where the mayor would still have an important role, I think is key because that's another thing, as you said, that's gonna be part of a very different um, landscape than Bill de Blasio, uh, Mike Bloomberg, any previous mayor has dealt with potentially post-pandemic realities on the population side and a very new uh, paradigm for how to plan the city. Other things we have to ask qu uh, questions of the candidates on, obviously the things we've mentioned, um, the income groups you'll be serving, um, 
how you're going to address homelessness, which of course is multiple crises built into one. There's families, there's singles, there's supportive housing, there's street homelessness. Um, they are not, it's not just one big problem you can have one big solution to. Racial segregation is something that the de Blasio administration, to its credit, did try to deal with, even with an absence of federal leadership on that, um, and did create some plans for trying to reducing that level of segregation. It gets complicated when you talk about affordable housing because some subsidies could uh, have the uh, side effect of uh, exacerbating seg segregation. So there are trade-offs there, but that's really, really important. And of course, the big question is how much money do you wanna spend? There are a lot of priorities out there. There's talk about infrastructure work. The city always has capital spending it has to do for the water system and other environmental stuff. How much money are you gonna put on the table? I think those are among the questions I'm hoping the candidates will answer. What are some on your mind, Ben? Well, a couple of quick things just on what you said, you know, going back to part of how we started this, that of course housing is such a basic human need and, and then ties in with so many other issues. You know, you got it a little bit, uh, you know, supportive housing within this conversation and how it how you sort of, um, you know, create a better continuum and, and prevent and, and end homelessness to the extent possible, where homelessness also is about mental health. It's about substance use. It's about, you know, so many other issues related to not just people's finances and evictions, of course, but also also those other issues that you know candidates need to address. And going back to the idea of sort of merging these issues into the larger challenge that they are, you know, that's that's part of it um, as well. One thing also to add to this conversation, if it's not complicated enough already, is property tax reform. Uh, this question that Mayor De Blasio has basically kicked down the road for seven plus years. He's saying he might you know make a last ditch effort to put forth a final set of proposals, which, you know, may be a good framework, but will depend a lot on the next mayor and the next city council to to look at. That's a that's a piece of this uh, puzzle as well. And, you know, I've, I'm really looking for mayoral candidates to address many of the things we just mentioned, but also how much are they going to try to make property tax reform uh, a priority? It needs to go through both the city and the state levels. It's very complicated. It touches on many challenges. Um, and, and again, even connects to issues like school segregation. Um, and so that's, that's one of the key issues that it's at play here too, that I wanna hear mayoral candidates talk about in detail, because there is a set of initial recommendations from a de Blasio panel that's out there that people can react to. Right, and I think the same goes for NYCHA, right? I mean, there are plans in place, plans that have been talked about. De Blasio hasn't been able to get a lot of oomph behind them, but things like rental assistance demonstration, the PACT program, this new idea of the blueprint and creating a public authority to oversee repairs to NYCHA. Candidates have often expressed some skepticism about them, but they have to say what their alternative plan is. And kind of the forgotten piece of affordable housing discussion over the past several years has been home ownership, which was a big part of the couch plan. And it's a big part of conversations about the racial wealth gap, um, you know, allowing the gains from gentrification when it occurs to be felt by a range of different people to be enjoyed by a range of different people. That's an important piece, but a complicated one because there are a lot of trade-offs built into home ownership when you have it subsidized for the public good. Um, but those and other issues will continue to be part of this campaign and what we talk about. Check out GothamGazette.com, CityLimits.org for ongoing coverage of issues and the campaign itself. Listen to Max and Murphy every Wednesday at 5 on WBAI 99.5 FM. And to learn about how, where, and when to vote, please check out vote.nyc.